Kai a Kreusel. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. This week we'll explore some of the links between the game of cricket and painting. Later we speak to Cardiff-based artist Malcolm Murphy about his art and the paintings he has produced of Sophia Gardens. But first, our Alan Rees Chivers talks to none other than Jack Russell. Jack, of course, had an illustrious 23-year career with Gloucestershire in England, keeping wicket in 54 tests and nearly 1,900 catches or stumpings to his name in the first-class game. But he's now been a professional artist for over 30 years, with a range of subjects that he paints, in addition to his paintings of cricket grounds and players. His paintings can be found in public and private collections all over the world, including the Tower of London and the Bradman Museum in Australia. He has painted portraits of sporting icons like Sir Bobby Charlton and Phil the Power Taylor, and most poignantly, given recent events, His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh. Alan started by asking him whether being a cricketer influenced his development as a painter. I don't know, really. I, can't, I don't know the psychology. I've not sort of looked at it in depth, but there's been one or two over the years that, um, that have done it. I don't know, maybe it's a, a visual thing. I don't know. I mean, sport's quite a visual thing. Um, you know, even going back to, uh, there was an old Australian keeper who used to do cartoons um, before the Second World War. So it, there are one or two keeping, and Martin Spate, who's a, who was an artist, um, he was a keeper. As, he did a little bit of wicket-keeping as well. So whether it's something to do with wicket-keepers, I'm, I'm not sure. But you've got the South African guy Richie Ryle. He was a he was a first class cricketer in South Africa. He, he's still painting now. And Peter Martin up at Lancashire, who I toured with and would go out painting with a little bit. And I, I don't know the the reason. But it'd be interesting to sort of get a psychologist involved to find out the exact reason. But I think it's just that maybe we're quite visual people. You know, our eyes are very important in terms of what we do. I know when we're on tour and playing cricket all over the place, you get to various locations and landscapes and um, maybe that's inspir- inspiring as well. I don't know. It's, it's difficult to put your finger on it, but I started because I, I got fed up as sat in cricket pavilions. Maybe this is the answer. Sat in cricket pavilions when it's raining and you're fed <laughs> up. Um, maybe that's got something to do with it and people start drawing or doodling or fiddling around with pictures and things. So it may well come from that because um, we do spend a lot of time away from home in various hotels and cricket grounds around the world when we were playing. So it's maybe that's a factor. Maybe that's the, it just feels... For me, it was a case of filling in the, the space and the boredom of not actually physically doing anything because I need to be doing something all the time. So I need to be productive. And I'd always been interested in art but never really, I didn't do it at school because I was too busy playing cricket and missing lessons, so I didn't do art at school, but it always fascinated me how the great artists, um, you know, came about and, and, and produced what they did, so I, I've always had a fascination, and, and when we were playing at Worcester one day, a new road at Worcester, which anyone who knows cricket will know that two drops of rain in the ground flooded there, unfortunately, so we had, we had a couple of days stuck in the pavilion, and I got totally fed up. The fact that I'd lost all my money playing cards um, had nothing to do with it, or bored of watching TV and I went into the town and actually I, I stormed out the change room about it and said well if Rembrandt can do it so can I <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach myself to paint and everyone used to say to her well, you need to learn to draw first so I went into the town in Worcester and bought a little sketch pad and some pencils and just started sketching up and down the River Severn and I mean shyly at first I wouldn't let anybody I mean my first sketch is a man under a tree reading the newspaper he's about 200 yards away he's like, I didn't get near anybody I was too shy 
but I, I gradually built up confidence and started to do it at the cricket grounds and it sort of came from there and then I took those sketches 1987 that was into a gallery in Bristol just to get them framed to put a home on the walls really it's like souvenirs and um, the guy knew me and I'd just been picked for my first tour of Pakistan um, which is the Shackle Ran and Mike Gatting finger wagging trip uh, back in 87 and he said well you go on tour come back with some decent stuff and we'll do an exhibition so the following summer in 1988 we had an exhibition in Bristol at the start of the cricket season and it sold out within two days. I couldn't believe it. So that was really the start of everything and um, it's just all snowballed from there. And a couple of years later, I was painting by then and we had another exhibition that sold out. So that was the hub of the whole success, really. It just almost started from there. But I think it's just, it was a case of, for me, it was a case of uh, not going insane and being sat twiddling your thumbs at airports and uh, various cricket grounds around the world or when you're travelling. I guess you must have had that interest in art to have started that in the first place, though. Well, I think the, the thing about art is it's always fascinated me is how the guys have produced it. You know, I'm, I'm interested in... I, I would spend, you know, even on tour, and those, I would go to art galleries and look at pictures, and even when I was playing with Gloucestershire around the country, you know, if we got brained off or anything, I would go to the local museum or art gallery and just look at the pictures and, and go and try and find a Rembrandt or a Constable, and uh, or it didn't matter who, whoever, and I just we looked, got got up close to the canvas and looked out, you know, how did they do that? That was, you know, and I'm quite a visual person. I'm not very good with words. I'm not very good with writing. Um, but visually, I, if I could see something visually, I, I, I'm interested. So I, I think it's just that, that maybe, maybe it was in the blood. I don't know. It's not, art's not in the family, but a fascination of how these guys did it. Plus, looking back in time, I quite like history. So I learned some military history in particular and just history in general. So the actual history element as well, going back in time a little bit, was also a fascinating part. And also the thing about painting, and I'm sure we get on to it, is capturing a moment in time. So when you've painted a picture, whether it's a cricket picture or a landscape or somebody's portrait, you've captured a moment in time. And that's sort of like, um, that gives me a good buzz that. And the other thing actually I didn't mention is when I was a kid, I used to go around the graveyards and look at people's names and like who, who was Alan Jones and who was, you know, Fred Williams or Fred Smith and and I was sort of like determined to pass through this world but leaving some sort of mark and the art for me <laughs> fills that gap as well because actually my paintings will hopefully still be on people's walls when I'm long dead gone, you know, you never know, they might even appear on uh, Antiques Roadshow one day in a couple of hundred years' time and uh, so that's, that's another satisfying element for me is that there's something permanent in a portrait, in a, in a painting. Obviously, art can document the game in quite a unique way as well. Yeah, very much so. And I, I've looked at old cricket pictures and, um, uh, in particular, old portraits. And there's that famous one down at Canterbury with the cricket match. Um, that's a famous one. And, and if you go around the Lord's Pavilion, in fact, most uh, cricket grounds really, fortunately for me as a painter, because they've managed to commission me to do one or two, over the years that they actually they like to record things um, in art form and then with pictures so going around the cricket grounds as well a lot of them have got museums and there are cricket pictures there documenting way back you know to the start of the game so that's always been a fascination for me so for for me to actually sort of make a small contribution to that I get a, a big buzz out of that and you know I'm, I'm interested in do documenting a moment in time it might be I don't know it might be sunset or it might be the some clouds going by it doesn't really matter it doesn't have to be cricket but you're capturing like a moment in time and that's that then that's permanently on the wall that's that's very satisfying who would you say were your earliest influences then whose work did you particularly enjoy well 
be honest with you, my great hero um, was, I've got several, but um, it's just like sporting heroes, we've got several, but in terms of painting, Rembrandt was one and Constable was the other. They were the main two before I learnt about uh, Turner and one or two other people like Whistler and those guys. But in more recent years, he sadly passed away about three years ago, was David Shepherd, who used to paint the elephants and the trains and the wildlife. He was my big hero, and I'll tell you why. Because I heard him say once, I was listening to an interview, and he said he learned from scratch. You know, he wasn't any good at, at school. He didn't want to play sport. He tried to get, he tried to paint to keep him off the rugby pitch. And he was just determined to become a painter. And he, he, there was a guy in London called uh, Goodwin um, who taught him to paint. He spent a couple of years learning. He started from scratch, as I did. And that was inspirational to me because he proved it could be done. And I've got to be honest with you, in the early days, I was going to give up loads of times with my painting because it just, I just couldn't get it right. I just, you know, nine out of ten canvases would go in the bin. But every so often, a square inch somewhere would work, and that, would, the, that was the light at the end of the tunnel that kept me going. So to be able to start from scratch, he proved that it, can, it could be done. It's like going to the moon. You know, people have been there. It can be done. Not easy, but if, you, if you're prepared to work at it and not give up um, and learn by trial and error and making mistakes, you know, there's a way way to, to, you know, to become, to achieve anything, really. So David Shepard was a big, big influence on me. Modern painters, uh, contemporaries today, were pe people like uh, Pete the Street, um, Pete Brown, who paints a lot of uh, uh, street scenes. He's from Bath. I'm a great fan of Trevor Chamberlain, um, who's a guy, he's been to Wales and painted a bit. Um, he's, he's in his 80s now, but he paints that loose, atmospheric pictures and yeah, you know, atmosphere, realism and atmosphere is what I try and create. So those are the, my sort of heroes, really. Let's talk a little bit about the process of painting for you. From idea to canvas, how does that go for you from a process point of view? Well, it can vary, really. But it's, there's got to be, there's got to be an inspiration. There's, there's something that that hits you. You see something, and you think, I want to capture that on canvas. The challenge of capturing that on canvas, that's what you're trying to achieve. And sometimes, many a time I've been late home for my tea and my tea's been burnt because I've stopped on the way home because suddenly there's a sunset or there's some beautiful clouds uh, or there's a, some light on a building. There's something in... I drive my wife nuts because I've always got my paints in the car, my paint box, and often I'll just stop. And sometimes, you don't know, sometimes I'll just go out driving some days um, and you just don't know what's going to hit you and what you're going to find. And that's the beauty of the adventure, really, because painting really is an adventure. And then you've got, on the other hand, the, you sort of try and... You, you find locations that aren't quite right that particular time, but you make a note of it in your head, and you'll think, oh, I'll go back there one day in the late afternoon because the light will be just right, or on a morning when there might be some mist or a reflection or something. And then you've got those paintings that are a bit more planned, such as the cricket pictures are obviously more planned. Um, you know, for instance, I've just finished painting the Ashes series from a couple of years ago. Uh, five big pictures actually turned into seven because I ended up painting the Women's Ashes and Stokes did what Stokes did at Headingley. So I had to try and capture that great moment as well. So they're sort of like pre-planned, but you don't always... The great thing about art is, and it's very much like cricket, is you never crack it. You never paint the perfect picture. You know, cricket, you can get 100 one day, you get naught the next. So it's a great leveller. So you've got to be on, on the ball, and it's just a magic adventure. And um, so the process would be then I would, I always try and paint on the spot if I can, which say I did at the Ashes. 
um, my, in my latest Ashes series, I painted every test match. I actually challenged myself to paint the very first ball of every test match, which was like capturing a moment of time again. It's like a, a moment in history, a part of history. That's because always the first ball of an Ashes test, especially when you were playing in it, was always a, uh, a historical, a special moment. Each Ashes test is like monumentous. You know, there's something special about it. And I thought I challenged myself and capture the first ball of every test. So. I would paint on the spot that day, get the colours right, get the atmosphere, do a smaller picture, and then take that away and then work, either finish that picture off or work that into a bigger picture, and that's what I did with the Ashes. So often, you know, if somebody asks me to paint a cricket ground, for instance, I get asked to paint, uh, luckily, a lot of commissions for cricket grounds. Um, always cricket. I've had the odd rugby game as well, which has been great fun. Um, I would go to that ground, I would paint the game. I, I need to see that people send me photographs. Photographs don't always give you the right atmosphere or colours or, or in, more importantly perspective so I always need to get the feel of the place, get used to the colours um, get the atmosphere and, and, and work from there so I try and always try and paint on the spot. When I did my book 18 Counties which was a, a book of every cricket ground that I played at uh, for Gloucestershire which actually has got a Glamorgan chapter in it, there's quite a few cricket pictures from Glamorgan in it from Wales in there and um, I went back to every single ground that I played at in, in England, which was great fun because it took me about two years to do it. And it was great going back and painting on the spot and seeing uh, a lot of familiar faces. And also, it was the, one of the reassuring things was there was a lot of the same people sat in the same seats. You know, they were like 10 or 15 years ago when I was playing, which was very reassuring. It was great fun. So, and, it, and I spent a, quite a bit of time going around Wales because I painted quite a few Welsh grounds now. So, um, going on the spot, all my pictures, if I can. They, they've even a portrait people have to sit for me and they have to start on the spot in terms of Welsh grounds then which would you say is your favourite to paint at? Um, oh, they've been, I've been, I enjoyed them all because everyone's different and even you know the old Sapphire Gardens which was the con the, the, the old concrete pavilion um, not nothing spectacular to look at in terms of glorious painting view, point of view but the thing is the ground still had a lot of memories for me um, I remember playing there in the in the 1970s against people like Tony Cordor you know when I was a kid playing for Stroud Cricket Club against Cardiff so I go I go back a, a long way to that particular ground um, so I've got fond memories from that not the greatest most beautiful landscape you're ever going to see but it was it, it, fond memories um, I remember playing at Abergavenny which is a beautiful ground you've got that mountain behind and that strange shaped corner of the outfield um, which also in when I was playing for Stroud Cricket Club uh, playing against Abergavenny they, they were easily the great the best tees in the, in the, in the country in the, in, the com in the country by the country mile because they were just so gorgeous we always used to look forward to going to Abergavenny to, for the tees as much as the cricket <laughs> but I did I did play there for Gloucestershire a couple of times um, which was great and I always enjoyed um, Swansea because I remember watching Sir Garfield so was it those six sixes when I was a kid you know that black and white film of him and Malcolm Nash that always stuck in my mind and that background hasn't changed a great deal since then so I've always enjoyed going back to play at Swansea um, that was great because of the history of the place um, you know it, was a t it could be a tough place to play depending whether the tide was in or out that always seemed to affect the pitch but it was great and the great characters are there there's a lot of great characters in Wales um, over the years we've, we've had so much fun playing there and the other grounds I would have played at would have been Evervale I played a Sunday league game there which was great um, Rodney Parade uh, in Newport the old Rodney Parade which was next to the 
uh, rugby ground there and the back there's a school on it now unfortunately but I played my first senior league match there for Stroud Cricket Club against Newport at second 11 and um, you know the, the, some of the familiar faces we were when we went back to Newport a couple of years ago with our exhibition because Club Organ started to play it back at uh, Newport the new Rocky Parade again um, it was great to see the Knight Brothers and one or two old familiar faces you know it, it, it was great uh, and the ground you know I had some good times playing club cricket in, in Wales as well so it's been it's been great fun not just playing there but painting them as well it's been great We spoke a little bit earlier about wicket-keeping and the central perspective that that gives you on the field. How do you feel your painting has changed since you retired from the game? Um, well, I've been able to give it more time. That's the other thing about art and painting. It's a bit like cricket. You never crack it, and the more you play, the more you learn. The more mistakes you make, the more you learn. And painting's no different. You know, I'm lucky enough to be in a position now where I, I just paint all day, every day. I'm, I'm, my whole life now, uh, much to my wife's annoyance, has revolved around painting as it used to be with, <laughs> with cricket you know so I probably dedicate I dedicate myself now to it rather than in, before when I was playing you know I have to fit it in between matches or you know we might have uh, a couple of months off at the end of the season two or three months before we went on tour so a lot of the time you know my commissions and things were fitted in around the cricket so it was a bit stop start um, so in terms of the tech technical side of it and the actually what I'm producing I think now because I look at my older stuff and my my sort of I cringe a little bit because I think oh god I could have painted that a bit better and I missed this out I missed that out and you learn to develop your skill um, visually I think I've always tended to be okay with perspective and getting things in the right place but the other the area you really do learn about is colors and mixing colors and how to capture those colours and atmospheres on the canvas. And I think the one big thing, uh, if I could pick on one point, it would be I've learned what to leave out. Uh, 20 years ago, I would do 20 brushstrokes, whereas now I would do half a dozen. You know, I can do things in a couple of brushstrokes now, whereas in the past I would labour on it and, um, you know, I'd probably overwork it and, and that sort of thing. So it doesn't mean I don't spend a lot of time putting brushstrokes on because my latest Ashes stuff is really detailed and I do sometimes tend to go the other way and, be, and make things ultra detailed, things, you know, like I had to even do the studs on Stuart Broad's boots, you know, that was a sort of, that's how detailed um, some of the pictures have been recently. But you learn what you need and what you don't need. It's a bit like writing probably, you know, you don't need to put every single word down. You can say uh, a paragraph in a couple of sentences. So you, you, it's the knowledge of that and... I think my work has become, I'd like to think it's improved, but it's become a bit more um, closer to the atmospheres that I'm trying to recreate. I think that's, 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 uh, that's important to me, that, you know, you, the thing moves forward and you learn more. But I learn every day. It's like playing cricket. Every day was a different day. Every day for me now in painting, even though I might be working on the same picture, is, is a new experience because I'm mixing colours and I'm learning all the time. So I just need to live to around about 150, I think, before I sort of like get to the bottom of the subject you know because it's like cricket it's just uh, that's the beauty of it you never crack it if you could be remembered for one piece of art that you've produced or a piece that you'd like to produce maybe that you've not yet done what would it be oh well there's there's thousands of pictures that are in my head that i would love to paint and, you know there's lots of people i'd like to paint there's lots of locations and places and atmospheres that that you know we'd, we'd be here for a, a year talking about that but if i could had to pick on there's a couple of pictures that was one of my older pictures the one of, of when we won in Jamaica in 1990. I did a picture of that um, 
when we came back and that's still I've, I've seen pictures of it recently and it's uh, that still stands it's you know something if, if I painted that today I would be quite pleased with that um, because I've captured that moment when Wayne Larkins is hitting the winning runs and we won in fact recently it's been on Sky TV they did a pictures in paradise um, about that particular West Indies series and we we weren't given a chance to win. Um, we were supposed to lose Series 5 now, but we won the first test, which was great. That picture sticks in my head. Um, Mike Atherton and myself, I did a small picture when we came back of uh, Great Escape in Johannesburg, which um, I don't think I go through a day without somebody mentioning that particular innings that I played with Mike Atherton. I mean, he did most of it. He batted two days. I just batted nearly the one. So a lot of credit must go to him. But that small picture is only quite a small picture, like 10 by 12 that's an important picture to me um, I think probably most recently uh, the Ashes I'm really pleased with the Ashes pictures because I've captured sort of my first full Ashes series um, so one of those would be great but I think if I probably had to pick one out you know my I was lucky enough to sit up in the mound stand during the World Cup final a couple of years ago and I've only just recently finished a massive picture of the of the ground from a view from my seat with Josh Butler taking the bales off um, and that's such a momentous moment in history I think in terms of capturing moments in time uh, in particular cricket and in particular English cricket or um, you know cricket in general that's a very important moment and I to have, to have captured that um, it, you know that that's a special moment so if, I, if I'm well known uh, if it ends up on Antiques Roadshow in a couple of hundred years' time and that's the picture, then that, that'll do me. Well, Jack Russell, thanks very much and hopefully we'll see you back in Wales very soon. I look forward to that. My pleasure. So, um, uh, welcome to uh, Malcolm Murphy, Cardiff-based artist to the podcast. Hello, Malcolm. Hello, Stephen. How are you, sir? I'm OK, thank you. Um, uh, so, let's uh, begin at the beginning. Tell us a little right. bit about how you uh, became an artist. Well, can we start with the earliest age, really? I would say from the ages of eight or nine, I started doing model sets for my brother, such as dinosaurs and things like that, you know. Uh, he would bring home these uh, plastic animated figures and there would be this Hornby kind of style paint, you know, the old enamel paint. And I would start to do the painting on the dinosaurs and things like that for him. Always had a natural ability to do it. And, I, and then I remember painting the eye of a dinosaur. I think that was one of my earliest memories. And my brother came and he said, God, I couldn't believe them. My elder brother came and he said, I couldn't believe how detailed the eye was. And I must say, I was impressed myself. I thought, oh, hang, hang on, what's this? I've got an angle here. I thought it was very easy to do, you know. It just came quite easily for me. So that was my first real initiation into paint and art, and the creatives, that kind of thing, but not thinking too much about it, of course, at the time, just being a kid. And then my nan, we used to go to Cardiff City Centre every Saturday where she would do a cleaning job. And I would go along, I would tag along with her as a kid, must have been around about the age of 10 or 12. And she bought me my first oil paint set which I still have today. I still have one of the tubes today. I started doing the painting there in the middle room of my nan's house and just fell in love with it, fell in love with the process, really. And then, of course, the teens set in and then this hip-hop movement came along. But the first initial thing for me was dancing. We loved the breakdancing, the hip-hop breakdancing movement. 
So I think we got really good at the breakdancing. We entered into a few competitions and I ended up doing a few shows for the Sherman Theatre doing uh, the history of dance. And we'd sit around, uh, the three of us, me, Martin and Biddler, we'd sit around on a Saturday along with the dancing and do all these drawings. And we ended up coming up with a name called The Clash of Stars, which was the three of us together. But uh, a friend of mine came up and said, look, I know where you can get cheap aerosol cans in Newport. And this was really the start of it. So we'd go, uh, we'd save up our dinner money uh, all through the week, all three of us. And then we'd get on a, a bus to Newport from Cardiff. And then we'd go to this open air market. This chap there was selling discontinued aerosol cans. So we'd just look around old lanes, find lanes and things like that, old railway boxes. And we got more and more confident, started doing top to bottoms, as they were called, huge murals, massive murals. Because it was pitch black. And you'd go back the next day. The three of us would go and get some kick, you know. And then we'd go back the next day and you'd see it in all the daylight, all its glory. Wow. Uh, something else, you know, an absolute, you're addicted, that's it, it's a bug, you know, because we, we'd always have a lookout. Uh, <laughs> children, we were children, you know. Uh, we dress up in this ninja outfit gear, all black, and then our friend fell asleep in the hedge. <laughs> Literally, I see him quite often, actually, I see him knocking around the streets here, you know. And uh, we always have a giggle about it because he fell asleep that night. And that was the night that we got caught, you see, by the police. Informed the school and said, look, this guy's an naughty boy. And my head teacher, luckily, at the time, knew a traditional sign writer in Panath uh, called David March. And they gave me a job. They gave me a job there, literally. So I went straight from school into a sign writing workshop all as a result of the American graffiti, you see. And your painting? The painting was. Was that always there in the background to all of your, your kind of paid work? Were you kind of doing that anyway? Or? My first love really was uh, John Constable. And I saw a painting there, just a miniature John Constable, which is actually on my wall there. There's a, a print that I had ordered from the Cardiff Museum. And that was my first painting. I, I looked at it, and Mark said, look, if you can paint that, I'll have it off you. So there you go. I painted it up. And I, it, it, was, it was, you know, sketchy, <laughs> if I look at it now. But the, difference, the only difference was, was the medium, Stephen, because I was so used to using enamel paints, using brushes, when I thought, well, can I turn my hand to oil paint? Because I actually asked him, what are they painting this stuff in? He said, it's oil paint. So I went and purchased, you know, again, reference to my first oil, oil paint that I had off my nan all day musical. So the penny clicked, and I thought, oh, oil paint, now I'll be oil paint, yeah. So I went self-employed in 99, okay? Um, doing traditional sign writing for the consortium group. But it was hand in hand because this friend of mine, Gareth Jones, had a picture framing shop at the front. So I started doing these paintings, uh, oil paintings. And I noticed when people were coming through the shop, there was, they were always asking for scenes of Cardiff and things like that, you know. 
we haven't got any. Where are these pictures, you know? And I was at a point then in my life where I thought, well, I don't really need to sell these uh, paintings to make a living. I want to start doing non-commercial paintings. And it was that that attracted the attention, I think, looking back on it today. So just uh, Streets of Splot started with, um, you know, the wet scenes of Splot, the, the grim, the, the miserable the misery of the day, really, that kind of thing. But try and put a bit of light into it just to brighten up everybody's kind of day, you know, that there is more to see than just looking, you know, and going through your everyday nine to five. So I wanted that, and I still got that passion for that. I'm always looking for an angle, you know, something that's light in the darkness, if you like, and I find that in reflections of puddles. I sometimes paint it upside down. Yeah, so I'll do the puddles upside down. So I'll turn, I'll reverse the painting round. You see, and I'll I'll look at the puddles as if it's an actual visual and not a puddle. And that's how I can kind of form it up and get the puddles looking quite so wet. You have confessed to me that you know absolutely nothing about cricket. I I have, well, I've always, as you can imagine, been too busy painting, Stephen. <laughs> my father, my stepfather, however, was a great cricket fan. Um, always always had the cricket on. So it was always in the background, really, for me. You have done a couple of different paintings of Sophia Gardens, is that right? Do you want to That's tell us how right. that all came about? Yeah, sure. Well, the first one, uh, we donated to Sinfire Gardens, which was quite a big painting. And, uh, yeah, so there's no real difference in approach. So as soon as I saw the photograph, I thought, oh, yeah, that's a great image. I can paint that. But the bigger you go with some images, the better, you know. So that's how it came about. Alan Brett sent me a photograph, and we thought, well, let's ask Sophia Gardens if we can donate to them. And Alan set up a, um, a meeting with Hugh Morris, uh, which I was absolutely delighted to be a part of, really. It was a wonderful painting. L looking back on it, because I haven't seen it for so long. You know, it's been, it was painted in early 2019. And I wasn't keen on it, to be honest, to start with, because the, the players looked like little Sabutio men that, that you could play with. And I, I kind of loved that idea. I thought, well, that'll work well in a painting because you want to pick them out and you want to start moving them around like you would do with the old Sabutio, you know, <laughs> against the background of the setting of the pavilion and the green and the trees, which was an ideal setting. I'm not sure I took the photograph, I must be honest. I'm not, uh, I think we did get permission. Alan got sought permission. And we did an oil painting and donated it to uh, Sophia Gardens, which Hugh Morris was gladly accepted. Do you know where that sits now? Do you know where it is? I think it's in the foyer or one of the foyers there. I haven't been back to see it, but um, yeah, it's a little beauty, a lovely beauty. It's a nice painting, that. I, I've um, seen two paintings on your website of Sapphire Gardens. One is clearly taken during the day. The other one yeah. seems to be taken at dusk. So there's a yeah. beautiful sort of pink, red, orangey sort of night sky. Uh, and yeah. the floodlights of the of the ground are on, and they they kind of shine like beacons out of the out of the painting. Do you remember mm. that one as well? 
Yeah, I do. I remember it well. Uh, I, I was first attracted to it because I thought, well, hang on. These lights are in the same position, exactly the same position, which they would be. But the photograph was taken in such a way that we've got a daytime scene and now we've got a nighttime scene with the laps on and the players playing. Like that was, again, Sophia Gardens, a T20 game, I'm told, yeah, uh, versus Leicestershire. Uh, again, painted in 2019. And uh, we donated that painting to the Matthew Maynard Trust. Um, you mentioned that you have an exhibition coming up, uh, Malcolm. How mm. else can people get to see your paintings? Uh, mainly through Twitter, Facebook. I have a website as well, which we're permanently uh, updating. However, I haven't updated it for the last two months. So, But my most recent paintings uh, uh, are on a link from my website, malcolmmurphyartist.com. Well, thank you, you very, very much, Malcolm, for your time. It's been lovely listening to you. Thank you. I very much appreciate you having me on. It's fantastic. Thank you. Our thanks to Malcolm and Jack for their time and to Alan for bringing us such a lovely interview. For those of you that want to take a closer look at Jack Russell's work, you can go to his website, jackrussell.co.uk. And both uh, Jack's website and Malcolm's website are reproduced in the notes accompanying this podcast episode. Next week, we return to Pembrokeshire for an interview with community cricket coach, women's cricket aficionado and blogger Rick Walton, who sometimes goes under the name of Cricket Man Wales. We'll let him explain all about that when he gives us some more stories about the great game of cricket from the great country of Wales. Oilvaur, bye for now. Story you have need any. Macrosic Gisilti. A bossuch MWC pod nineteen twenty one at gmail dot com. Nay, Facebook, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast. Nay, Intidalin Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact email MWC pod nineteen twenty one or go to our Facebook page, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, or our Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod.